And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. I never get used to seeing all these faces when I step up here. Um, but it's good to see everyone. I'm excited to be in the Word with you here this afternoon. Um, and let's look to the Lord right away. Father, just want to thank you for your Word, Lord. That we can learn from it and grow from it. Father, I thank you for the people here. And I pray that you would keep me from error, Lord, and you would expound the word unto us, Lord, that we would grow in our walk towards you, Lord. We grow in our intimacy. We grow in our fight, our personal fights towards temptation and the trials that many people sitting in this, in this room face. But we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the foretold king as prophesied by the Old Testament writers and the Old Testament prophets. He's a king that we should follow. He's a king that we should imitate. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We want to imitate our king. And what's unique about King Jesus is not only that he's someone we should imitate, but that as a king, he comes and identifies with us. He doesn't have to do that. This is the same king that said to Joshua, Take off your feet. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. This king is coming to identify with us. We see this in Matthew where he comes and injects himself into humankind, injects himself into humanity. He's a baby. He's a toddler. He has child, pre-adolescence, adolescence, you know, puberty, teenage years, young adulthood. He identifies with us. Matthew chapter 3, is, as preached last weekend, we see that he comes and identifies with sinners and our need to repent not that he's ever sinned, but even in that, he comes and identifies with our need to turn our life around and follow God. And now here we are in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to see King Jesus identify with us sinners and the human experience of temptation. Now, we're going to discover together seven lessons, um, and, and, and we're going to do that in this chapter, and it's going to I found it to be a blessing in helping us to deal with our trials and temptations. I don't come to you and speak about this from the mountaintop, like, I've got this figured out, I've got this mastered with temptation. I, you know, I'm, 
I'm with it just like anyone else. I need to confess my sin to my wife, to the Lord, to my brothers. I'm trying to grow. And I don't believe that in this life we'll ever be sinless, but we can sin less. We can grow. And my goal here is to serve you through just pointing out from the scriptures here, these verses, just seven lessons, at least the Lord's shown me, to bless you in dealing with trials. So let's look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted. Now, the first three lessons are going to primarily come from verse 1 and 2. We're going we're gonna to camp here for a little bit on temptation. What is temptation? Fundamentally, temptation is the allure to sin, right? It's that tug on your soul to do what you want to do the way you want to do it. We all struggle with this. Everyone in this room, every day, every hour. Some of you right now may be struggling with that. It's just a common experience that we share. In Matthew 26, probably get there in like five years, Tim, right? In the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples in the garden. Right? He's going, he's, he's going to pray. He's about to get taken away and go through a vicious time in his life. And he says to them in Matthew 26, 41, he says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation." What do you think Jesus wanted his disciples to watch out for? Their hearts. Their own hearts. Jesus knows this firsthand. No doubt, our King Jesus, he entered into the desert to be tempted, watching his heart. Jesus watched his heart. King Jesus says in Mark 7, 21, from within, this is what he says about the heart, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within. Here's the first lesson. When you are in trial and temptation, watch your heart. When you are in trial and temptation, look at your heart. Trial and temptation exposes our heart. How we respond to temptation, it's a signal, it's like a check engine light for your heart. What's going on in your heart? Time and time the Bible talks about the heart. It says phrases like, if you say in your heart, if you turn your heart, he had it in his heart. Do all that's in your heart. Love God with all your heart. Inside our hearts, inside your heart, is where our core belief system lies. Temptation exposes our hearts and what we truly believe. Deep down inside, our core beliefs. Our core beliefs shape how we make meaning of life and why we do the things that we do. Temptation exposes our core beliefs, what we really, really believe deep down in our hearts. Psalm 51.6, David rightly says about God, you desire truth in the inward parts. And he begs God later on in that chapter saying, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. The problem is inside. And in psychology, there's this, there's this terminology of the iceberg, right? Where the iceberg is protruding outside the water, and then underneath it's this huge mass, it's this huge boulder. And nobody sees that. And the heart is like that. Temptation exposes that stuff that's going on below the surface. We need to watch out for our hearts, as no doubt our King Jesus watched his heart as he entered into the wilderness. King Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 4.23. He said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Temptation attacks the issues of our heart, and out of the issues of our heart gives birth to sin. 
James 1 talks about this in verse 14. He says, but each person, each person, when he or she is Lord, dragged away, right, and enticed, baited by their own desire. He says, a person is tempted when he or she is Lord and dragged away, enticed and baited by their own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Tim Keller has a wonderful quote on this. He says, the essence of sin is not wanting bad things. It's wanting things too badly. The essence of sin is not wanting bad things, excuse me. It's wanting things too badly. We give in to temptation because there are core beliefs going on in our hearts that make us really, really want to give in to temptation. Watch your heart. You know, it doesn't seem like it can be that deep-rooted. As, as Christians, we often can be very sin-focused instead of heart-focused. We say things like, I shouldn't have did this. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have thought that. Or I should be more disciplined. I should be more godly. I should be more patient. And all those things may be true, but the question is, what is going on in your heart? And I've been praying for us that in Matthew chapter 4 that we're going to imitate Jesus not only by what he says and what he does in dealing with temptation, but also by what Jesus believes. What are his core beliefs? Because we want to imitate that. Jesus was able to overcome temptation because he had the right heart. He had the right core beliefs, and we want to imitate that. And that's why I'm taking time right now to focus on temptation and what it's about. One more thing about this and its core beliefs. For the purposes of today's message, we're going to separate core beliefs into two categories, okay? First is our core beliefs about suffering and personal discomfort. What are our core beliefs about when we suffer and we are experiencing personal discomfort? There are unbiblical core beliefs in our heart about suffering and personal discomfort. We're going to see Jesus go through this exact system. That's why I'm highlighting it. There are unbiblical beliefs in our core beliefs in our heart about suffering and personal discomfort that we must watch out for. And if we don't, we become sitting ducks for the allure of temptation. What do I mean by that? With suffering and personal discomfort, we can have beliefs like, I'm overwhelmed and I can't deal with this. Things will never get better. I can't handle this. No one will help me. No one can help me. I'm utterly broken. No one can fix me. It's too scary for me. I'm so ugly. I'm so disgusting. I'm going to fail. I'll never recover from this. I'll be miserable forever. I'll never be happy. Watch your heart. So I said there's suffering and personal discomfort, but there's another category over here. I just did a slide. Look at that. There's another category over here. There's rights and our personal desires. We're going to see Jesus battle with this, rights and personal desires. There are unbiblical core beliefs in our hearts about our rights and our personal desires, and we much must watch out for that. If we don't, we're sitting ducks for the allure of temptation. What do I mean? With our, with our rights and personal desires, we can have beliefs like, I deserve this. I need to be in control. I need to be treated fairly. I must have my needs met. I shouldn't have to put up with this because I deserve better. I've sacrificed so much. I've worked so hard. I owe it to myself. If it feels good or it looks good, I have to have it. I need to get it in some way. If I only had this one experience, if I only had this one relationship, if I only had this thing, I'd be more happy, I'd be more satisfied, I'd be more fulfilled. Watch your heart. 
Now, these are thoughts and beliefs that you may never said out loud, but they're inside. Remember the iceberg, right? You never, probably never said that out loud, but they're inside. And they don't only cause us to sin outwardly. These core beliefs, these jacked-up core beliefs that we can have, they can cause us to sin inwardly. We can become bitter and, and bigoted and conceited and self-loathing and self-focused and jealous and covetous and hateful. Lesson one, when in your trial and temptation, watch your heart. Okay, one lesson down, six more to go. All right. Let's go back again to verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now let's focus on that. Because someone may be reading that and saying, wait a minute, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted? By the Spirit to be tempted? By the Spirit of God? Doesn't it say in James that God doesn't tempt anybody? How is it that the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus to be tempted? Let's make no mistake, we read in James already, God doesn't tempt anybody. When we fall into temptation, it's our fault. Make no mistake, if you fall into temptation, it's totally your fault. It's my fault when I fall into temptation. God will not personally tempt you. We're tempted when we get lured away by our own desires. God will not personally tempt you, but he will test you. He will test you. Solomon says in Proverbs 17:3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. Psalm, uh, 11, excuse me, Psalm 11 verse 5, David puts it bluntly. He says, the Lord tests the righteous. Jeremiah eleven twenty, he addresses God as the Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, he says, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Jesus was led, King Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Do you realize God is testing you? Can you identify in your life trials right now? And you can look at it and say, I need to watch out what's going on in my heart. And, God, are you testing me? How are you testing me? What trials and temptations are going on in your life right now? The second lesson. When you experience trial and temptation, remember that God is interested in testing, revealing, and confronting what's really going on in your heart. When you experience trial and temptation, remember that God is interested in testing, revealing, confronting what's going on in your heart. What are you going to do about what God is revealing in your heart? If he's testing it, indeed, what are we going to do with that? Remember, God, he's testing us to allow us to grow. James 1, 2, 4 says, James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete. Perfect and complete. He's looking for a perfect heart. You know, uh, so my daughters and I, we are in, uh, we're going through the Old Testament, we're ending 1 Kings. And I love this segment, this portion of the scriptures. You know, the kings, they just, it's like a, it's like a soap opera, like a novella, my wife would say, Spanish. It's like a soap opera. And, um, you know, we're going to get to Second Chronicles eventually, and it talks about the kings of Judah. First Kings and Second Kings are talking about the kings in the north, but it's going to talk about the kings of Judah. And, you know, 
you can tell what a king is going to be like by how, to, how the scriptures describe him. We'll say, this king did what was evil in his own eyes. And you're like, oh, man, it's, he's going to be a dud, man. He's just, he just already sets the tone. You know how the chapter is going to go down. But sometimes it will say, this king did what was right in the Lord's eyes. So 2 Chronicles 25.6 talks about King Amaziah. And it says, he did what was right in the Lord's eyes. So you're like, yes, King Amaziah, hold it down. But then there's this small phrase right after that that says, but not with a perfect heart. That's the goal in testing. Remember, God desires truth in the inward parts. God uses our temptations to reveal what's going on deep inside our character. God cares about your character. King Jesus is being led into the desert to be tempted, yes, but more specifically that he will be tested. And indeed, he passed that test. And he needs to pass that test. I can't take Jesus' spotless report card if he fails this test. We can't, we can't rely on Jesus' sinless, um, uh, sinless stance to, to, to save us if he's stained with sin. So he passed this test. All right, lesson one. Again, when you're in trial and temptation, watch your heart. Lesson two, when you experience trial and temptation, remember that God is interested in testing and revealing and confronting what's going on in your heart. All right, verse 2. Or verse 1 and 2 again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now I was reading this. I was like, Lord, I got three lessons in two verses. Like, I'm, I'm here, Lord. Can we, can we keep moving? But he was showing me this. And I, and I want to share with you because this really blesses me. The third lesson, seeing this from the Scripture, is as we talk about King Jesus being tempted and being tested, as we talk about the need to watch our own heart, let's not forget that when we experience trials and temptations, remember that Jesus was tempted just like you. And you can go to him for strength and for grace. Remember, when you're going through trials and temptation, Jesus was tempted just like you. Hebrews 2.18 says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He understands. He gets you. Whatever that struggle is, he gets you. Now, I know that some may be tempted here to say, I don't know, Jesus is God, though. I mean, I get it. He, he came down as a human being. He's 100% human, but he's 100% God. How could Jesus really connect to what I went through? I mean, doesn't it say in James 1 that God... You know, he, 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 uh, he can't be tempted. So how is it that Jesus can how, is he can, how can he experience what I'm going through? Make no mistake that eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we sung earlier in the first song, he has no unmet needs. He needs nothing. But when Jesus decided to put on this human flesh and enter into humanity, you better believe there were unmet needs. He's hungry. He's in the desert. You better believe that he experienced temptation. He experienced it just like you. If that wasn't true, the scripture can't say this. For we do not have a high priest who wasn't able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, some respects, no, every respect, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Every respect. Don't let the enemy attack you with that lie that Jesus does not know what's going on with you. He can't identify. And every respect. You don't think Jesus knows what it's like to be treated unfairly? To feel unappreciated? To feel desperately overwhelmed? To want something that is not in the Father's will for him to have? 
to feel tempted with disappointment and failure? He does. And the scripture says he was tempted in all points. And Jesus, that's why he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Peter says, cast all your cares on Jesus Christ because he cares for you. In 1 Peter 5, 7. So let's move on. Verse 3. We arrive. Here's Satan's first attempt to stumble Jesus when he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now we're going to go back to those two categories he talked about, the core beliefs, like our suffering and personal discomfort. All right? What are Jesus' beliefs about that? What are our beliefs? And then what are beliefs about our personal rights and desires? Jesus, he's suffering. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. People are starving right now in the pews. You guys ate breakfast. Some people are starving right now. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. If you've ever fasted for more than three days, your body will adjust, and eventually you won't feel that hungry. But medically, I've read that if you go after a while, your body will begin to eat at its own internal organs. And it's very painful. So Jesus is, he's not just hungry, he's feasibly in pain. He's suffering. His core beliefs about suffering are going to shine for us. Rights. He's the son of God. The Bible says that the Lord sits in the heaven and he does whatever he pleases. He could turn that stone into a cheeseburger if he wanted to. He has rights. I'm the son of God. He desires to eat. He's hungry. But look at his response. Verse 4. He answered and it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Wow, what an answer. Do you know where Jesus pulls this, this from? He pulls it from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8. Here's the background. Moses is addressing the people. And they've been in the wilderness for 40 years already. And it's the end of that time. And he's going to actually tell them, this is why you've been in the wilderness. And Jesus is going to get the verse from this. Check it out. Deuteronomy 8.2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing to know what was in your heart. That's lesson number two. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why did he do that? Here's the verse that Jesus quotes. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is telling Satan, I need to lean on God's word and his promises more than I need to escape suffering and satisfy my rights and my desires. I need to lean on God's word. I'm going to lean on that. That's better for me than trying to get myself out through sin. In other words, God's words, God's promises are better we must learn to lean and depend on God's word and promises instead of self-medicating our way out of a trial. We all know how to self-medicate. We all have our medication of choice. The fourth lesson is this. When we experience trial and temptation, remember to lean on God's word and his promises. Fourth lesson. When we experience trial and temptation, remember to lean on God's word and his promises. I don't need to give in to temptation. The faithfulness of God, his word is enough. His promises are enough. What promises of God do you lean on here today? 
when you go through a trial, what promises, what nuggets do you have from the scripture? And I want to encourage you. The Lord was encouraging me with this and convicting me. Like, do you have verses for yourself, promises, so that when you're getting attacked by whatever your trial is, I, everyone has their own trial. Are there, are there like promises that you got that you can pull out? We need to remember God's promises. Psalm 119.50, here's what David says. He says, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life. Family, what promises are you leaning on? We need to rely on God's word, his promises to get us through our trials and our temptations. You have to cling to his word. Again, not self-medicate. I know how to self-medicate. Get me a Chinese buffet, a break. I can self-medicate, man. That whole, you know, give me 30 minutes, 20 minutes. If the fried chicken's out, you know, I'll have to wait. No, no, no. We want to imitate King Jesus. He's quoting scripture here from memory. Do you think that's a coincidence? He's hidden this stuff in his heart. It's the core stuff he's believing. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's your relationship with the word of God? What is your relationship of, with the word of God? Is it, hidden in your, it hit, is it hidden in your heart when you face trial and temptation? Beyond study, beyond academic pursuit, beyond moral standards, is it life to you? Is it dear to you? How does it impact your daily routine? How does it impact and navigate your relationships? You know, we can talk and affirm right doctrine. We can have right doctrine until we're offended, right? We can affirm what's right doctrine. Amen to that. And then someone's offended. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's just like we forget. When we're suffering, we have right doctrine. We can talk about it until we start to suffer or until we start to stand on what our rights are or what we strongly desire. I don't know about you, but it's not, it's not always easy to feel connected to God's word. Sometimes it's very easy to feel dry. And there's grace for that. Remember, we can go to the Lord with that. He says, come to me, come to me. And we have to be like our King Jesus and delight in the word of God. Fight to delight in the word of God. Psalm 119.72 says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Jeremiah says in chapter 15, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. So let's learn from King Jesus here. He believes that God's word and his promises are better than giving in to temptation. All right, lesson one. In trial and temptation, when we're experiencing it, to watch our heart. What are our core beliefs? What's going on? Number two. That when we're in trial and temptation, God is sovereignly testing your heart. He's testing your heart. Lesson three, when you experience trial and temptation, remember Jesus has been tempted exactly like you. Find comfort in that. Lord, you know what it's like to be offended. Lord, you know what it's like to, real, to want something and, and it's not no Lord's will for you to have it. You know what it's like to feel lonely. You know what it's like to feel disappointed. You know what it's like to be rejected by people you love. You know what it's like to be betrayed. The fourth lesson, when we experience trials and temptation, God wants us to lean on his word and his promises. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
Satan is so crafty. Do you see? I mean, we look at this on the outside. We're like, yeah, see, here's Satan falsely using scripture to justify something bad. And you know what? When I was looking at this, I'm like, man, you know what? Not only is Satan misquoting scripture here, he's giving you like this covert prosperity gospel. Do you see that? He's giving this like kind of covert like, hey, you're the son of God, right? You're blessed and highly favored, right? You're the anointed one, right? He loves you, right? It says in a word that he'll lift you up. You need to claim that, Jesus. It's true. Remember those two broad categories you talked about, suffering and personal discomfort, and then rights and our personal desires? It's appealing to Jesus' rights. And that's why the prosperity gospel works. The prosperity gospel works because it appeals to people's desires and, and their perceived rights, what they're entitled to. Now, time won't allow us to dive into the Psalm 91. Satan's quoting Psalm 91. We can't dive into it, but it was fulfilled through the gospel, Psalm 91. And the gospel declares we're blessed not because we overcome poverty, not because we overcome sickness or physical and emotional pain. We're blessed because through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we overcome sin. We overcome death. We overcome hellfire. And most importantly, we overcome a broken relationship with God. Now we're whole. Now we're healthy. Now we're wealthy. Now we're rich in Christ. But Satan still tries to trip up Jesus, trying to appeal to his rights and his desires. And Jesus, you know, listen, rights and desires. What kind of rights and desires could Satan be appealing to? Well, he's the son of God. He says, if you are the son of God. If Jesus wants to jump off a pillow and have angels catch him, he could do that. He's God. He's appealing to his desires. If Jesus throws himself down from the top of that temple, people aren't going to just see him as the bread king. In John 6, he's like, you come to me because you want bread, man. That's why you're coming to me. I know why you're coming to me. He, he doesn't want, this, this is an opportunity for him to be seen as the Messiah that has been talked about all along. He doesn't want to be just seen as the miracle worker. But this temptation, like every other temptation, starts with, if you are the son of God. And doesn't he do the same with you and I? Don't we get those same kind of temptations? Doesn't the enemy try to play off your rights and your desires with those kind of words? If you really are the man of your house, why are you struggling financially? Why are you stuck in your career? If you really are his bride, why doesn't he woo your heart? Why doesn't he help you with the load around the house? Why doesn't he take you out on more dates? If you really are a man or woman of God, why are you still struggling the same sins? Why are you still wrestling with the same struggles? If you really are a man or woman of God, why are your children so unruly? Why are they so misbehaved? If you really are successful, then why don't you have a nicer house or better resources? If you really are loved by God, why did you have to suffer like that? Why are you suffering? If you really are friends, if they're really important to you, then why didn't you get an invite to go to Jason and Katie Gomes' house? <laughs> For all my FOMO people out there. <laughs> Who says we're supposed to have these things? We feel like we have our rights, like we're entitled to it. And he plays off of it. But let's look at Jesus' response. Verse 7, Jesus says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this comes from Deuteronomy 6.16. What's the context? So the people of Israel are taken out of Egypt, and, you know, they're taken out of Egypt. Like, oh, thank you. Oh, we got to Egypt. Yay. But after a while, when things aren't going well, they start talking trash against God and Moses. Oh, you put us out here to die. We had steak in Egypt. It's just this manna stuff. And they're complaining against Moses. Moses gets all upset. He hits the rock. 
And you can tell when someone's upset about something because they bring it up over and over and over again. God brings this up, and it's in Deuteronomy, it's in Exodus, it's in Psalms. Seriously. He's like, they provoked me when they did this. (laughs) I didn't mean for that to be funny. but (laughs) But you see the theme, they're complaining because what? They're not getting their material needs met. Prosperity gospel. They're not getting their material needs met, and they're complaining against God, and God is very provoked by this. Now, on the outside, the very blatant, obvious, clear truth is we can't, if Jesus would have jumped off that temple, he would not have been righteous. He would have been foolish. We can't use Scripture to justify just getting what we want, right? Just doing what we really want to do. You know, well, Diane, the Scripture says that you're supposed to submit to me. So when I come home from work, you know, that paella that you make, you know, can you have that ready for me every, you know, I can't, I can't use the scriptures now to justify what I want to do. We can't use the scriptures to justify irresponsible living, you know. Oh, the scripture says that I can eat anything as long as it's accepted by, by just prayer and thanksgiving. Right, I'm going to get two cheesesteaks. I'm going to get onion rings. You got fries. I got fries. Oh, it's wing night. You know, I can just eat as much as I want. And I'll be okay. We can't use the scripture to justify doing what we want to do. But let's go even deeper than that. Remember, we're interested in Jesus' heart. We want to imitate that. You know, why did Jesus say this is a rebuff for temptation? Why did he say, why, did, why is he going to say that, excuse me, I lost my notes, that, that you should not put the Lord your God to the test? Why doesn't he even, he, he sidesteps you know, Satan's whole prosperity gospel thing. He doesn't even address that. What does it say about Jesus' heart and his core beliefs? I believe it's this. Even in the midst of trial and temptation, Jesus has a healthy fear of God. I believe Jesus is communicating in his response that he cares about how his choices impact his father. King Jesus cares more about his choices impact his father rather than getting his own way. You know, we're talking about a relationship here when we talk about fearing God. It is not that we're afraid. You're saved by God's grace. He's, no, he's not angry at you anymore. There's no more wrath left for you. It says in Psalms that he, he drunk our wrath to the dregs. Like, you know when you drink something and there's literally nothing that can come out? The Psalms describe that the cup of wrath, there's, it's empty. He drank all of that. There's no wrath for you. But you can still fear God. We can still fear God. When you're in a relationship with somebody, you care about how you impact them. You care about what you say and what you do and how it, how it affects them. The world may fear God because of the judgment that's coming, but we fear God because we have a deep relationship with him. You have a relationship with him. You care about, you care about how you impact him. And when we become more preoccupied with doing what we want to do the way we want to do it rather than trusting God, it impacts him. Lesson number five, when going through trials and temptations, remember to fear God. God is impacted by the choices we make. When we're going through trials and temptations, remember to fear God. God is impacted by the choices we make. We're not isolated. God cares about the way that you deal with the test he gives you. Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says we're sealed. So we're sealed. We're sealed. We We can't lose that. But he still says don't grieve him, though. Don't grieve him. Family, we need to fear God. 
Jesus feared God. Psalm 111.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everyone who practices it has a good understanding. Proverbs 16.6 Proverbs 16, 6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Look how Luke describes the mentality of the early church in Acts 9.31. He says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The fear of the Lord is clean, family. In our trials and temptations, let's remember to fear God. How is this choice impacting God? How I treat this person, what I say to them, how I deal with this temptation. God, how are you impacted by that? And some of us may be sitting here like, you know, I've never even thought about that. I just, it's just about me and trying to, I've never thought about how is God feeling about what I'm doing? Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. The scriptures clearly teach that although God is the sovereign ruler of everything, visible and invisible, he's given Satan rule over the world. And, and John, he refers to, Jesus, to Satan three times as the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world. And 1 John 5.19, it says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan is able to offer Jesus the world because temporarily the kingdoms of the world belong to him. Temporarily. So you may be wondering, how is, how is Satan even able to tempt Jesus with this? Because temporarily he has, ruler, he has rule of the world. But going back to our two categories here, he's, he's saying, you know, he's showing Jesus everything and he's saying, look, man, just bow to me. You can have it. Now, what are, what's the suffering and discomfort in the, that category? What's going on in Jesus' heart with that? Well, in order for, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back, and he will. He will rule. And he will be, have, he will be king over all the kingdoms. All the, all, it says all the nations from the kingdoms will flow unto him and bow and worship him. But in order to have that happen, in order for Jesus to, to reach that, he has to be beaten to the point where he's not even recognizable. He has to have his beard ripped out of his face. He needs to be paraded around naked carrying a cross. He needs to be, for the first time in his life, separated from his father. He has to go through some serious agony to the point where he's sweating drops of blood. No doubt Satan is playing off of this. This is suffering. What is his core belief about suffering? That's a big, that's a big temptation. I could avoid that. What about his desires? Over here in the side of the rights and his desires. Jesus loves the kingdom of, the God, kingdom of God. If we continued reading chapter 4 here, the first thing he's going to do when he starts preaching is talk about the kingdom of God. He loves it. It appeals to his suffering, to his rights, his desires. But let's see what Jesus says in verse 10. He said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I believe Jesus' heart attitude is sharing this. God is more worthy of my worship. God is more worthy of my worship than avoiding suffering or getting what I want. God is more worthy. He 
He's more worthy of my worship than bowing down to what I'm afraid of or to what I really want. What do you bow down to? How do you bow down to suffering? How do you bow down to your rights and what you really want? Jesus is saying, I, yeah, I, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to even ask the Father that if, if, if there's any way possible he can take the cup away from me, take it away. I'm going to ask him that. I, this is going to hurt me. This is going to hurt me, but God is better. I'm going to worship God. I really want the kingdom to come. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. It says he embraced the cross with joy. He's excited about the kingdom. It says in Isaiah 53 that after he went through all that he went through, taking our sins and, and by his stripes that were healed, it says that he was pleased when he looked at his generation of people. When he looks at all your faces and he's like, by my blood, all these were enemies and now they're my family. It says he's going to be pleased at that. But he says, you know what? I'm going to worship God. Even, even that is beneath worshiping God. In what ways do we let the things that we really want or the things that we're really scared of trump worshiping God? Here's the sixth lesson. When we are in trial and tribulation, we must remember our deepest need is to worship God above our afflictions and our personal desires. When we are in trials and tribulation, we must remember our deepest need is to worship God above our afflictions and our personal desires. See how when I say above, I kind of move up a little bit like that? God is more worthy of our attention than our afflictions, than our fears, and our rights in getting what we want. And, you know, we must be cautious in putting the emphasis on what's wrong with our lives. Put so much emphasis on what's wrong, what's hurting, what's not good, what needs to change, what I don't like, or what I would like to have, and what I would like to achieve, and what I think is my place to have. Rather than just setting the Lord before us, Psalm 16, David says, I've set the Lord before me, Psalm 16, 8, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. How can you say something like that? How can you say that I'm at peace, my flesh dwells secure, I'm rejoicing? How can you say that unless you put the Lord before you and worship? Our greatest need and temptation is to bow our hearts and worship and surrender to God. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, David says. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, Psalm 95, verse 6. What role does worship play for you when you're overwhelmed with the affairs and the desires of this life? What role does worship play for you when you are overwhelmed with the fears and desires of this life? Let's believe what King Jesus believes, that even though life is overwhelming, even when life is overwhelming, or when sin looks really, really good, that God is better and we should worship him. Verse 11, then the devil left him. Amen to that. Amen. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. When faced with temptation, King Jesus consistently submitted to God. He consistently chose God. He consistently did that, and Satan left. He bounced. There's nothing more for him. We submit our hearts to God. There's nothing that Satan can do. But the last verse, the last verse, let's look at this. 
Then the devil left him, the last part of the verse, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You see that there? Angels came and were ministering to him. King Jesus, even King Jesus needed to be strengthened by others. King Jesus in his humility, he's the one that made angels. They belong to him. And he allows them to come alongside him and minister at a very vulnerable time of his life. We need to imitate that. The seventh lesson is when dealing with our trials and temptations, we need community and to be strengthened by others. When we're dealing with our trials and temptations, we need community and to be strengthened by others. We need to let people in, family. Who do you have in your life that can come alongside you? Who do you have in your life to strengthen you in your trials and temptations? Who's in your life that really knows what's going on with you, that can challenge you, that can encourage you? Is there anyone in your life like that? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, he says, two, I love this. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked. They could be defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Galatians 6.2, Paul exhorts believers. He says, share each other's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. We need each other. King Jesus models that. He's going to allow himself to be strengthened. So just a review, the first lesson is when we are in trial and temptation, and I believe Jesus entered into the desert, his heart, his own heart checked. When we experience trial and temptation, watch your heart. Look at your heart. What's going on in me? What am I afraid of? What do I really want? Let me get that unlocked. Let me get those unbiblical beliefs in check. Lesson number two, when you experience trial and temptation, remember God is sovereignly testing you. It's not a coincidence. It's not your boss didn't do it to you. It's not your spouse doing it to you. It's not this person or that person or this situation. It's God testing you. Have you ever had that perspective? You know, so focused. You know, the, the scripture says that, you know, I'm not even going to quote that. I don't want to go so much. But the point is, is that we need to stop focusing on what it is that's happening before us, what someone's doing. It's not about flesh or blood. God, what are you trying to do in this situation? That always puts you in control and stop giving the control to somebody else. Satan, Jesus is not blaming Satan. He's not blaming the wilderness. He's taking responsibility. He's quoting scripture. He's checked his heart. Second lesson, again, remember that, that, that God is interested in testing your heart and revealing what's going on in your heart. Third lesson, when you experience trial and temptation, remember that Jesus was tempted just like you are. And remember just like you are. Because Again, we'll be tempted to not want to identify with Jesus. If you, can, if you can say, Jesus, you understand. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms. He says, oh, Lord, you know me. You search me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. God, you know me. You understand what I'm going to Even before I speak, you know what I'm going to say. You know, some people will sit here and say, nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. I don't, nobody understands. God understands you. And we can really find solace in that. But Jesus specifically understands what it's like to be tempted. And we can go to him for strength and for grace. He's ready to listen. 
Lord, I've done it again. This is the 100th time. He's just ready to listen. I understand. The fourth lesson, when we experience trial and temptation, God wants us to lean on his word and his promises. I need to get, I need to get the word of God. Maybe for you it looks like memorization. You know, just, I'm going to just take some, I'm going to take some, go to the scripture and just take some verses, you know. Maybe I struggle with anger. I'm going to go look at the scripture. What does the Lord say about anger? What does it say to do, you know? Be angry and do not sin. Let me, you know, let, let me go look at just verses that I can maybe use and just try to help remind me so I don't fall into that temptation. I want to lean on God's word and not on what I'm feeling. Fifth lesson, when going through trials and temptations, remember to fear God. That he's impacted by the choices we make. The way you decide to deal with what you deal with, God is impacted. He's not just standing distant. He's impacted by it. And lesson six, when we're in trials and tribulation and temptation, we must remember our deepest need is to worship God above our afflictions and our personal desires. Just to be careful that I'm not making such a big idol out of what I'm afraid of or what I'm going through or what I really want. And rather, let me look to God and worship him. Let me not make an idol out of all these things. Let me worship God. And the seventh lesson is when dealing with our trials and temptations, we need community and to be strengthened by others. We need community and to be strengthened by others. Let people in. Let people in. Not just the surface. Not like, oh, we're just going to play some games or we'll be cool. No, like, I'm struggling. Please pray for me about this. I, I'm, this is what's going on in my heart. Let people in. I need you to, I need encouragement. I feel ashamed about this. I feel angry about this. I don't feel any connection whatsoever to God's, whatever it may be. Grab some people that you can trust and let them in. Let them strengthen and minister to you. May God bless you. That's it.